0: It's a popular computer game on the market today. That's right, I'm going to talk about computer games for a minute, so bear with me. Chances are, even if you haven't played it yourself, your kids or your grandkids have. It's called Minecraft. Seems to have gained somewhat of a cult following, which is surprising given the fact that the graphics are barely a step up from the games of the old arcade 8 bit Pac Man days. There's nothing flashy about this game Minecraft, and yet the consensus is that it's just about the coolest thing since Legos. And that's essentially what Minecraft is. Legos just digitized. So here's how it works. A player, who's always named Steve for some reason, begins a brand new world. A virgin landscape. The specifics are different for every new game, but forests, mountains, rivers, oceans, and deserts are all made available for Steve to explore and make his own. During the first day, Steve has to construct torches and build a shelter in which to hide, because at night, of course, zombies, skeletons, spiders, and a little exploding green man called a creeper roam around. Now, Steve survives that first night, he can then dig deep into the earth and mine for various ores with which he will build even better, more protected shelters. The creative possibilities are really limitless. In fact, my wife and I got a chance to visit the Museum of Modern Art in New York City this summer, and would you believe there was an entire wall dedicated to architectural masterpieces created in Minecraft? Who knew? It's not just the kids who are getting into this. And I'll admit, I've become acquainted with Steve myself. (laughs) My two elementary school age kids and I frequently bond over our mighty adventures in our virtual world. And for me, it's been a beautiful thing, really, getting to spend uh, creative time with my kids. But there have been some unexpected hiccups in our adventures as the three Steves. Fights, virtual and real, tend to break out from time to time between my boys, and they primarily have to do with territory and stuff. You see, the kids have been given this lush virtual world, or kingdom, if you will, in which they can live out their virtual lives, Maybe it's because they're in first and second grade, but then again, maybe they're tapping into something more universal about the human condition. But when some newly mined diamonds go missing, or a finely crafted shelter is mysteriously destroyed, the gloves come off. Despite the the fact that their shared Minecraft world is boundless, they'll find some little block of digital land to fight a war over. And then it's time out. Our father and son bonding is cut short. Instead of celebrating this unique kingdom, some coding genius created for them, they can end up spoiling it over ego and ownership disputes. And I have a feeling Jesus might have something to say about this. Well, this parable that we heard today, the parable of the wedding banquet, rounds off a slew of challenging parables in Matthew's Gospel. The whole thing begins when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know the story. Makes his way to the temple, drives out the money changers, goes on to heal the sick, work miracles in the area, which leads to his authority being questioned by the religious leaders of the day, the chief priests and the elders. Then Jesus masterfully shoots back a couple of thinly-veiled parables about vineyards, and the chief priests and elders don't have too much trouble figuring out that Jesus' little stories are actually harsh indictments of their leadership. They don't like it very much, but as we know, Jesus isn't one to quit while he's ahead. And that's where today's gospel passage comes in. He set the scene here for this allegory king is God, and the wedding banquet is, let's say, the world as it should be, the kingdom of heaven, a celebration of this wild and wonderful life we've been given. The invitees are the Israelites, the Jews, and the religious leaders of the day, but when the king, or God, sends his servants or prophets, think Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, John the Baptist, to extend the invitations, they're rejected. The point Jesus makes here is simple and sharp. The religious leaders and their followers have been lackluster inhabitants of God's earthly kingdom. As the gospel says, they made light of this invitation. They went away, one to his farm, one back to his business, apparently too busy and inwardly focused to recognize the great gift of they have been given. They retreated to their individual interests, neglecting each other and the world around them. I want to note here that the parable of the wedding banquet is what is known as a parable of judgment, in that Jesus tends to come down pretty hard on those he's displeased with. That bit about an enraged king burning cities probably caught your ear. That old-school divine wrath may be a little harsh for our modern sensibilities, but it's meant to sting a little. Jesus' words of judgment aren't just for those unworthy invitees in the parable, but they're really shot across the bow to anyone who has ears to listen. We've all been too busy, too driven, too obsessed with our own individual pursuits that we've probably waved off the king's invitation a time or two ourselves. I know I have. And that's when things usually run off the rails. I don't know if any of you all caught wind of the controversy brewing at one of our Episcopal seminaries these past couple of weeks. Social media was all aflutter with gossip of a blow-up between faculty and dean and the board of the General Theological Seminary in Manhattan. It's our oldest seminary, by the way, and it suffered some of the same financial challenges that much of the church has in recent years. And this past week, we saw the consequences of that building tension, all the disagreements, territory, ego, Resulted in eight out of the ten faculty members losing their positions. Now, the future of the seminary is at stake. Accusations of wrongdoing are being cast about, and some are probably justified, some probably not, as is usually the case in situations like this. But as a result, the seminary suffers, and the entire Episcopal Church feels the hurt. I guess it doesn't matter if you were in first or second grade or if you are elders of an ancient church or if you're professors and administrators of a modern seminary, the desire to stake our claim, it runs deep, so deep sometimes that it shakes the foundations of our institutions and our relationships. Well, are you ready for the good news? Because here it is. Back to our parable. When the original invitees decline, the king doesn't just toss up his hands and call off the party. In fact, he does just the opposite. Insisting that the celebration must go on, he opens the doors even wider for any and all, sending his servants out again to the streets this time to collect the good and the bad. That's right. God's feast is going to happen no matter who turns down the invitation and no matter how many times. God's offer of peace, of reconciliation, of freedom from the burdens of loneliness and of anger. God's offer of a steady hand through our dark nights and a word of clarity in our confusion. God's offer to celebrate with us is eternal. How might our church, how might our world, how might our Minecraft games or our our seminaries look different if we RSVP'd yes to this invitation? Might we be less judgmental? Might we be more apt to listen rather than speak? Might we be more gentle with each other, sharing the vineyard and honoring the host of it all? I don't know if it's you, but that is a kingdom I want to be a part of. Amen.